If you would, look with me at chapter 11, Revelation chapter number 11. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod. It says, And the angel uh, stood, saying, Rise, and measured the temple and the altar, and them that worshiped therein. But the court which is without the temple, it said, Leave it out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And it says, In the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty-two months. Look at verse 3, it says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days. One thousand two hundred and sixty days they would prophesy. Look at these words. It says they will be clothed in sackcloth. They will be clothed in humility. They will not be preaching out of any kind of... Uh, they preach from authority, but they won't be preaching out of any pride. They preach out of humility. But look at what it says and describes these two witnesses as. It says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks, or lampstands is what the translation should read, standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, look at this, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies, and any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. But verse 6 is where we're closed. It says, and these have power to shut heaven that it might not rain in the days of their prophecy, and power over the waters to turn into blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. We pray with me, Father, as we come to you this morning, the thing that we need is you. God, the thing that we need, Lord, is your presence, Lord, through the Holy Spirit. Lord, the thing that we need is the very things that Brother Brandon and Andrew was singing about and leading us in as we praise you and as we sing the songs that nothing can wash away our sins but the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no power in any animal. There's no power in any beast. Those were just shadows that could only cover up. But the Bible says that Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God that not covers our sins but just takes them away. God, we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for that there is no other name given unto men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ himself. Lord, we thank you that at the name of Jesus, devils tremble in hell. At the name of Jesus, we fall before him and declare that he is our Lord and he is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He's our Helper. He's our Answer, as Andrew sang about. God, at the name of Jesus Christ, all the powers in the darkness, Lord, of hell cannot come against the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, at the name of Jesus Christ, even fevers have been reduced of little babies who have been prayed over in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, people have been healed of diseases and sicknesses. There's been people who could not walk that are walking, Lord, that could not speak, and they're speaking at the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, but we know that you've told us not to always rejoice in the fact that the demons know us or the demons are subject unto us, but rather we should rejoice because our names are written in the heaven, Lord, in the Lamb's book of life. And God, I just pray that your presence would be with us. I pray for all people that are here today. Lord, I pray that for the moment that they would put all things out of their mind, that, God, that they would do what First Peter tells us to do, and that is to throw, cast all of our cares upon you. That, God, that they would literally right now in their hearts and in their minds, Lord, that they would just say everything that they're thinking about, Lord, they'd just throw it upon you today, and that they would say, we want to hear from heaven. We want a word from God. We don't want a word from Steve. We don't want to go home feeling good. We want to go home knowing that we have been in the presence of God Almighty and Lord through his Spirit. God, let it be not an ordinary Sunday. Let it not be a day or an hour in which we get through it all and we close and we leave here. But God, we ask you that you'd meet with us like you've not ever met, Lord, before. God, for Brother David that's out preaching this morning at another church, we ask you, God, to be with him and all of our pastor friends that are standing in pulpits right now as well as we are here today. Lord, will you be with them, anoint them. Lord, through the Holy Spirit, Lord, move upon their lives, God. And I pray that as they've studied and they've been in private prayer with you, Lord God, that they'd be able to get it out of their mouths. And that's the prayer that I ask for myself. God, I ask you that, Lord, when everything is said and done, 
Lord, when all the things are done and we sit down, we leave, we get up, we walk out, and all things are done, that God, that the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified. That everything that is done, Lord, no matter if it's a testimony, no matter what happens, Lord, in the invitation time, that all things would be done to honor the name of Jesus Christ, our greatest friend, our best friend. Lord, he done for us what no other could do. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. For it's in his name we ask it all together. Amen. You can be seated. I would ask you, please, to keep praying that same prayer through the whole service. That there would be no interruptions. That there would be no interruptions from Satan. That there would be no interruptions from our minds. That God would keep us captivated. Amen. And uh, I'm going to put my big chocolate bar Back over here, I, uh, I couldn't take it home and eat it. That would kill me. It would put me in a diabetic coma. And so uh, uh, I was going to share it with all the little children, but we'll do that at the end of the service, not right now. But uh, if you weren't here two weeks ago, you'd have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, that's, you need to come. You need to come more often. We're, we're kind of like the Rick and Bubba show. If you miss an episode, you just got to get caught back up. Uh, Revelation chapter number 11 uh, we left off last Sunday morning. We talked about two things last Sunday morning. The first thing we talked about, number one, was one book. Uh, we talked about that in this book that we, we preach, that it's the Word of God. You remember the Bible says that that great messenger, that, that one that had the uh, rainbow about his head and clothed in uh, clouds because it sh- uh, shielded his glory, talking about being Jesus Christ and how the, the Word of God says that he had one foot on the seas and he had one foot on the land and he declared that time would be no more. And what he meant by that is that there would be no more delay in God's judgment and that things were wrapping up. And it's like we've gone through this tribulation period now up to a about three and a half years. There's seven years of it that's going to take place. This is not some mythical, this is not some, you know, uh, metaphor that God is using, but the Bible actually states that the world, the earth, will go through this tribulation time. There are some people that feel that we've already gone through it and that we're in the millennial reign now, and this is supposed to be where the lion lays down by the lamb. I don't know if you've noticed or not, this is not the days of peace. We're not living in the days where the lion lays down by the lamb and that we have peace. We're living in the days where wickedness and rulers and high places are attacking and, and, and Satan is coming against churches. He's coming against people just in general where we have all kinds of evil things that are going on all around us. This is not the millennial reign, amen. During the millennial reign, the Bible says that Jesus Christ will reign upon his throne here on earth and that those that are saved, the body of Christ, will rule and reign with him with, with crowns and thrones and we will what rule and reign with him. We'll be praising him forever amen but in the tribulation period it's broken out in seven years we know from the book of Daniel that there were 490 years it's going to be determined upon thy city and thy holy people talking about Israel and it says that God's going to take this time to bring Israel back to where they need to be it's a it's actually a chastising time it's a time of God correcting them to bring them back to where they need to be God's not finished with them yet Everything that we even think of, even news reports, whether it's CNN, Fox, or anyone at all, a lot of things that we understand always come from that little bitty piece of property over there every single day in our news. It's always coming out. It's a ripple effect, just like creation came from there, that now even all things that we understand are coming out of there. And if you want to know what God is doing, you need to watch that area and watch that place. And so the Bible says that these seven years are left that there were already 483 that were completed, but there's seven years that are left. And they're left for a reason. And people go, Brother Steve, why would God do all those 449 years and then 
434 years. Why would God do that? And then call a, a timeout. Why would God do that? And then save this seven years. And we've talked about it. So many people, when they preach from Revelation, they come out as in a judgment and God's wrath and judgment over and over. And you have to have a balance. You have to have understand that God is a God of love and grace and also a God of judgment and wrath, which makes him true and which makes him, like Jeremiah said, a God that cannot be compared to any other God. See, because you can't understand a judge sometimes that may be gracious and may be forgiving, but you look at another one and have judgment and pass condemnation upon them. You don't understand that. It actually confuses you because why? You would think, all right, well, you do it this way, this way, this way, but God is long-suffering. That's a huge word, which means that God is very patient with us. God is long-suffering. And if there's anything in your Christian life that you should ever thank God for in your prayer time, and you just say, well, I just don't know what to say to him, you should stop and say, God, thank you for being long-suffering with me. Thank you for being long-suffering and patient with me, and God continually coming back and being gracious to me. Because God reserves this seven years to do what? To bring Israel fully back to where they need to be. But something had to take place. And Paul preached about it in Romans chapter 11. He said, in order for these seven years to come to pass, then the fulfillment of the Gentiles have to be completed. And what is that, church? The thing is, is that Israel has no promised land. They have no land themselves. They've been searching for a land ever since 71, 72 AD when Titus marched in and overtook the temple. And you know what happened? Jesus told them uh, one day the, the, the uh, disciples were looking and says, Lord, look at all of these things. And if you were to understand history and understand Herod's temple, Herod actually was, he was, let me just put it in our country terms, that he was crazy. He was, he was really nuts. He would kill you for power. He killed his brother. He killed other people in order to stay in the position. He was crazy, but he was the most greatest architectural designer that was in that time. He had a palace out in the middle of the desert by the Dead Sea called Masada. He had a palace at Caesarea Philippi that actually had a pool that was carved out in the rocks of the Mediterranean Sea. He had a hippodrome that they actually had the chariot races. This guy was a genius when it comes to building and making money, but his heart was very, very wicked. And the Bible says that the disciples said, Jesus, look at the temple and look at all these things. And what did Jesus tell them? He said, I tell you this, that there will be no stone left upon another. And what he was saying is, is that Herod's temple had this huge golden crown. It was different from Solomon's temple. He tried to glorify it even more, but it had this huge gold crown made out of gold that was up on top of the temple that covered the actual the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies place. And it, was, it had all kinds of gold and ornaments everywhere. It was so pretty, but Jesus said, no stone will be left upon another. But Rome, when they come in and they would attack, they would not destroy temples. But when Titus came in and took the gold vessels and the, and the vessels of, uh, of the temple and the sanctuary and the holy place out, that temple actually called on fire. Josephus, Flavius Josephus, which was a first century historian, wrote about this, that the temple caught on fire accidentally because Rome would not destroy the temple. But when it caught on fire... It all burnt, and that gold that was crowned all the way around the top of that temple melted down, and they actually said went down into the cracks of the stones. And so the people came in, and they took their tools, and they took all the stones apart, digging and getting all the gold out. And you know what ended up happening? 
No stone was left upon another because they uprooted all the stones in order to look for all the gold. Jesus said this would happen, and it happened. They didn't believe that it would happen, and even the Romans didn't believe it would happen because the Romans stated they would never destroy that temple, but it happened. Because why? Because the Lord said it was going to happen. And if he said it's going to happen in that, we also need to know that these things are going to happen. And the Bible says all of a sudden in the middle of this seven-year period, at the three-and-a-half-year mark, 1,260-day mark, 42 months, whatever you want to call it, Jesus is there standing in the middle of it all, and he declares something to be the greatest. And what is the greatest? A little book that he has in his hand. And that little book we talked about last Sunday is the Word of God. Some people have said, well, why is it called a little book? The, the Word of God should be the greatest book in the whole world. It actually is. And it's actually a, a great seller, number one seller. It's actually one of the greatest books that we have. But think about it for a moment. You're going to try to attain a God who created all things of the earth, who formed rivers and valleys in the palm of his hands, who told the sun that you stay over there, who screwed the moon into its socket, who did all of these things, and you're going to try to get him all wrapped up in 66 books? No, 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 it's a small book. Because John said, you remember we talked about last Sunday, John said that he supposed that all the things containing God could not be contained in all the books of the world because there's not enough books in the world to contain the things of God. And so there he is standing, and this is what you got to remember. In the middle of your trouble, as Andrew said, as, as, as he sang a while ago, in the middle of your storms, in the middle of your trouble, you know what you need more than anything? Sure, we need friends. Sure, we need prayer time. Sure, we need all of that. Let me tell you what you need the most. You need the Word of God. In the middle of your tribulation, here stands Jesus with that book opened. It's open in his hand, which means it's not hidden. It means it's there for your reading and there for your taking, and you need to take it in. And you remember we talked about that God told John uh, to take the book and to eat the book and that it would be sweet to the taste but be bitter to his stomach. Why would it be bitter? Because... Understanding the salvation plan of God and what had to take place for Jesus to die for our sins. Church, I don't know about you, and I don't know how you understand it. And how you, I'm very thankful that Jesus Christ gave his life for me. I'm very thankful when we, when we sing about nothing but the blood of Jesus. But there's also this other side that when I mentally picture the Son of God, the Lamb of God being beaten, his beard being plucked out, him being spit on in his face, kicked punched and all those things happening to him him being beaten beyond recognition that Isaiah said that his visage or his vision like everything it was marred you could not tell and then they go and take him all the way to Calvary and drive nails into his hands and feet there's also this great gratitude in the heart sister Martha but there's also this this bitterness in the stomach that why didn't we just worship God for who he is why didn't creation just go we would never turn away from you because you are our great father. You are our great creator. But the Bible says, this is where the bitterness comes in. Isaiah says something, and it's always puzzled me. The Bible says that it pleased the Lord to bruise his son. I don't know if you've stopped and thought about that for a moment, but I've never been pleased in chastising my children. It's never made me happy. I don't, I don't just go out and you know, call everybody up, hey, you know what, I tore them up today. You know what I mean? No, I, I just, you don't, it's not a bragging session. Neither would it be for our God. But what it means is, is that it pleased the Lord to bruise his son. You say, well, what was the pleasure? What, what do you mean in pleasing? Because I can't grab a hold of that. I can't understand that, Brother Steve. I'm a mom that I would never be happy or excited that my children did that or that they were punished or that they were bruised. What it means is, is that God loves you so much that it pleased him to give his son instead of you dying for your own sins. 
that's what it means. And that will blow all of your understanding of who you think can be saved and who you think can't be saved right down. It'll flush it down the drain because I'm telling you that God loves you so much that he was not willing for you to die, but that he would give Brother Jack, Sister Betty, his own son for you. Only begotten son, monogenes, only seed, one gene, his only son for you and I. I'll tell you something. How can we say it in churches today? How can we even go through life and just kind of pass by that every day? He, instead of taking your life, gave life of his son for you. That's love. I'm telling you right now, that's a wonderful love. And the Bible says that in the middle of this tribulation, God starts giving us some understanding. He tells us, first of all, that you need the one book. Amen. But he says that during this tribulation time, if you remember, and I'm going to go through it really, really quick. If you remember during the tribulation time in the beginning, from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 10, we had seven seals that were opened up from this scroll that was sealed. All of these judgments fell out of these things. And these judgments seemed like that they were very harsh. It seemed like that they were very stern because when you think about the Antichrist came on the scene, his characteristics are found in those four horse, you know, the, the colors of the horses, you know, that white one being the one that he comes in, offers a fake kind of peace and a fake kind of victory crown. The red one, you know, coming in, he's offering death. The black one, you know, offering famine because people are going to be starving and, and they're going to have to receive the mark of the Antichrist, the beast, in order to have food. And then you got that last and the pale horse that's coming behind like the trash man just taking all the death and bringing people and, and uh, getting all of their bodies in there. So all this stuff is going on. And you're going, man, my stomach. It just kind of gets bitter in the stomach. And you go, Lord, what? Man, I don't want anybody. I don't know about y'all. If you're saved in here, I don't want anybody to go through that. I don't want anybody to endure that. I don't want what you would consider your worst enemy to endure anything like that. And then you almost get this glimpse of, in chapter 6, it's going into chapter 7, that all these things, are maybe they're going to be wrapped up. And when he opens up that seventh seal, what happens? All these seven trumpets come out of it. And you're going, what do you mean? What, what in the world? This is a weird book, you know? Seven seals and seven trumpets and four-eyed frogs and all this stuff. You know, you're like, what in the world? Well, what's happening is, is God's showing us in the sealed plan, it was Biblion. That means he had a writing that God has a law that is written against this earth that actually says that if you reject him, you would be judged. It's written. You're not changing it. Amen? It's written on the inside and the out. The other thing is this. What is the meaning of the trumpets? The trumpets were always sounded and blasted to show that what? The enemy was going to come and try to destroy. They're blown as a warning. Or also, they're blown as judgment that's coming against us. So so the Bible gives us these trumpets. And then we look at these trumpets and go, whoa, these things are bad. And all this is happening. And a fourth of the trees and the grass are, are burned up. And the fourth of the sea is turned to blood. And the fourth of the rivers are turned to wormwood and bitterness. And they can't drink it. And all of these things are happening. You're going, oh, Lord, this, this is rough. And then, and then this is what the majority of the Christians say today. They all sit back and go, well, I'm just going to get saved now. And then I don't even have to learn about that. I don't even know about that. And I don't have to go to the book of Revelation. That's not the way you should think. That's not the way that you should think. That's not the way that you should live your Christian life. You should understand these things so that you can do what? So you can help somebody and warn them. 
So you can share with them that, listen, no, 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 it's not just about God's wrath because what? The Bible says a fourth of the earth, a fourth of the grass, a fourth of the seas, a fourth of the waters. Understand that for just a moment, 12 times in four scriptures or six scriptures, 12 times what is said, a fourth, a fourth, a fourth. And you go, well, why? Why is that put in there? Because it's God being long-suffering. It's God saying, I'm not going, what did he promise Noah? He said, I'll not destroy the earth or all flesh from off the earth again. What he's talking about? at one time, Brother Matt. And so what God in his long-suffering and grace and mercy and sovereignty and judgment and deity is doing, he is saying, I'm not going to just wipe it all out like I did before. I've made that covenant and I've made that promise, but what I am going to do is be long-suffering. And as this fourth is burned up and as this fourth is turned to bitterness and as this fourth is turned to blood, maybe, maybe someone will repent. Maybe someone. That's grace, church. That's love like no other love. Listen, people today, whenever somebody messes you up or, or messes you over, what do you do? What do you do? You say, first time, shame on me, right? Second time, shame on you. That, come on now, y'all know that y'all say these things. If you don't say them, you post them, right? You know what I mean? You're always like, you know, I'm going to let people run you once, but you come at me again, you know, then, then you're done and I'm done with you. I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad that God is long-suffering. I'm glad, I'm thankful, because you don't know what I used to be. You don't know how I lived, and you don't know how many times I rejected the Spirit and His calling and His drawing me to salvation. You don't understand, as a young boy that went to church since he was seven years old, that sat in the sanctuary and listened to messages after messages and watched people sing and praise God, and all of these things were going on in my life, but when I would go home in my teenage years and doing all the sinful things that I did, you don't understand how thankful I am that God didn't say, You're done. God was gracious, that God was merciful, and that God is long-suffering. Because the Lord knows Steve Abney needed a long-suffering God. Amen? Because it was like many, many times. I'm glad God didn't just give me a second chance because I would have blown it a long time ago. But God gave me another chance and another one. And God has the Word of God there. And all of a sudden, God says, I want you to remember that during all of this first part of the tribulation time, while you think the Antichrist, because if you've been here through this series, you really think all the judgments and the Antichrist is what it's all about. Because why? Because from chapter 6 to chapter 10, that's all we've really heard about. Think about it. That's all we've really been consumed with is seals opening and this and trumpets blowing and this. But God's going back in this parenthesis now and he's showing us. He's saying, no, no, no. He said, I had two witnesses. And they've been here 1,260 days. And I know some of you are going, Brother Steve, that's not 360, uh, or that's not three and a half years. That's because you're going by a 365-day calendar, and every now and then we get a little fourth in there, right, which will happen this year, leap year. You're going by that, but according to prophecy, you go by 360 days. So if you were to add those days, or you're to divide 1260 by the 360, you'd understand that's three and a half years. You'd also, if you want to convert it to months, you'd understand it's 42 months. And you would know that God has this perfect time. What's going on, church? Listen to me. Don't, don't lose me. What's going on at this time is that God says, at the tribulation period, at the beginning, he said, I've sent two witnesses. 
He says these two witnesses. Look with me at the scriptures. The Bible says in verse number three, it says, and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy 2,000, or excuse me, 1,203 score days. They will be clothed in sackcloth. What he's saying is, he says, listen, I've got two witnesses that are going to be coming. Some people say, well, brother, who do you think they are? There's no need to speculate. We don't know who they are. And you say, well, why? Because I've not gone through the tribulation. And Brody, matter of fact, I'm not going through the tribulation. So I don't know who they are. Some people say it's Enoch and Moses. And some people say it's Elijah and Moses. And some people say it's two different witnesses. It doesn't matter. What we look at, we're going to look at the view of Elijah and Moses because of the things that they do. The Bible says right here that these ministers, they're coming to do one thing. Look at what they're doing. Prophesying. What is prophesying? They are going around, Brother Brian, and they are telling them the word of God. At the beginning of this tribulation period, here comes these two witnesses on the scene. The Bible describes them. Look at the next thing. It says, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before God of the earth. What that means is, is that they are the light at this time in the darkest time. Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the tribulation period will be such a day as never was before the earth began or ever has been since. But in the middle of all of this, you're going to have light. Brother Carl they're going to be prophesying, they're going to be preaching, and they're going to be doing it out of humility. But look at what it says. They're going to be like a lampstand in a dark world. They're going to be like that menorah lampstand out in the middle of the wilderness and the desert out there as Israel. And it was just dark, and it was just gloomy, and it was dusty. And when they walked in, Brother Adam, into that tabernacle, and they looked on those gold, those boards, the acacia wood that was overlaid with gold all the way around in that tabernacle and when they walked in there they looked up and there was cherubim sewed in the linen that was above it and the gold boards that were by it they could see the table of showbread and the bread that was on there that represented Jesus Christ the bread of life they could see that altar of incense and smell that wonderful smell that was going up essential oils before the Lord God Almighty amen it was they brought him frankincense, gold, and myrrh, right? Two of those things are essential oils. <laughs> Amen. One of them, I believe, was for his preaching ministry. I take frankincense all the time when I lose my voice. But it was made out of gall bottom, stacked in, onica, and it was mingled together with the blood-soaked coal, and that smell was filling the room. And it was all because why? There was some light in there, and the light was shining off those golden boards. Amen. And in the middle of the tribulation, or the beginning of the tribulation, that seems to be the darkest, and the Antichrist comes. And he does all these evil things. In all of that, God still has a witness. God has always had a what? God's always had a remnant. Elijah, oh Lord, I'm the only one. And Jezebel desires for my life and I'm the only one left. And God whispered to Elijah and said, I have 7,000 that have not bowed a knee to Baal. Amen. Listen, God has a people. And during the tribulation time, here are these two witnesses. People say, Brother Steve, why do you believe that it would be the witnesses with the power of Elijah and Moses or that it may even be Elijah and Moses? Jesus stood on a mount that we call Mount Transfiguration now. The Bible says Peter, James, and John were there with Jesus. And Jesus all of a sudden was transfigured into all of his glory. I don't know about y'all, but that would have been absolutely awesome. And I don't know about y'all, but I went back and told everybody. Jesus said, Steve, you can't say this. You know, keep thou mouth shutteth, right? And I would have been like, I can't, I mean, I can't keep this in. And if he told me to keep quiet, I make it keep quiet until the resurrection, then I'd have to tell everybody, right? But who did they see there? Elijah and Moses. What did Peter say? He said, we need to build a big old memorial for all this stuff. Jesus told him, no. 
Why? Listen, we're good at building memorials, and a lot of churches today are nothing but memorials and mausoleums, some of them. Listen, and just full of dead things. Jesus was showing them something that must take place. The Bible says these are what? Two olive trees and lampstands. Zechariah talks about it. We're going to talk about it this coming Wednesday night. You come back and be with us. But it says that they're what? It, he had a picture of this lampstand and the, the olive trees, Brother Carl, in Zechariah chapter 4, they had their branches inside the lampstand and it was dripping the oil, the olive oil in there to do what? To continue the light going. And what God is saying in that church is that he is the sustainer of the light. He is saying that, listen, I have the light and I have my witnesses. I got to go on before we get excited. Amen. Listen, it says if any man hurt them, this is really going to kind of wig you out a little bit, but it says if any man hurt them, them, fire proceeds out of their mouth. Ha! Dragon breath, right? We talked about it a little bit last Sunday morning. It says to devour their enemies, and all of them would be hurt in this manner, but we need to go on and look at this right here. We'll come back to that part. It says, but they have power to shut up heaven that it rain not in the days of what? All of their preaching and all of their prophecy. They have the power to turn the waters to the blood. The Bible says they have the power to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. If you look at this illustration and you understand about these two witnesses, these two witnesses carry the power that Elijah and Moses had. And you say, well, what's the significance about that? I'm glad you asked me that. And I just want to tell you that it's going to take 15 more minutes of my preaching time to explain it. Okay, <laughs> Y'all are not excited and happy with me today. Look, the Bible says, power to shut heaven. Who did that? The Bible says, Elijah, prayed that it might not rain. And for the space of three and a half years, it didn't rain. Right? Then he prayed that it would rain. And all of a sudden, the Bible says they were standing out there. And it says, what is that I see? And his servant went and he says, it's a small cloud. He said, it's a small cloud that looks like a hand. He was like, we need to get inside. It's a sound of abundance of rain. Amen? Grab your umbrellas. And they're, it ain't rained in three and a half years. I'm telling you, you need to get on inside. Right? Elijah did that. But the Bible also says, look at the next part. It says, and have power over waters to turn them to blood. The Bible says that Moses did those things. Listen, it's not Elijah himself or Moses himself. It was God working through these people. Do you remember the story about Moses? Everybody remember the story about Moses? He, he's much like you and I today. He's the basket case. He was. He was a basket case since birth. His mom put him in the basket and put him in the river. And, you know, they found him and did all that. He was raised up 40 years as an Egyptian. Then went out in the wilderness for 40 years and herded goat because God was getting him into pastoral ministry. Amen. He herded goat for 40 years. In the last 40 years of his life, what did he do? He was the great emancipator or deliverer of Israel. And he walked to them and said that I've come to take the children of Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. Right? But before that happened... What went on with Moses? Brother Craig, remember Moses had a bad problem. Moses wasn't really convinced that he was the man. Moses actually suffered from his own self-esteem, low self-esteem. And I'll tell you something. One day he was out herding the goats and he saw a bush that was burning but wasn't being consumed. And just like you and I, he went, well, good grief, what is that? You know what I mean? And he said, he went over there. And what did the Bible say? That the word of the Lord came to him and said, no, 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 no. You stop right there. Take your shoes off. All right? He said, because the place that you stand on is holy ground. The Bible says that Moses was speaking with God. And I believe to be an Old Testament theophany, Christophany of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And here he is speaking. And what does he say? He says, you're going to do all these things. And Moses says, uh, <laughs> wait a minute, God. If I go over there and tell them 
that I've been sent to deliver them, who should I tell them sent me? Oh, it was good. This is a good part. He said, you tell them I am. Amen. Amen. I am. Which really carries a whole meaning in the New Testament. Jesus says, I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. I am all this stuff. Amen. But listen, he said, you tell them that the I am. In other words, the uh, uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, the one that saves Yahweh, the I am, the I am, the completeness of God. And he says, Lord, but they won't believe me. So what did God tell Moses? He said, what do you got in your hand? Are y'all with me? And what did Moses say? A stick. I got a rod, a stick. He said, throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground. And what happened to it? Turned into a snake. At this point, the word of God was saying, Steve Abney fled from the presence of the rod. Right? Yes. I don't mess with snakes. God said, all right, now Moses, pick it back up. <laughs> Wait a minute. And he picked it back up and it turned back into that rod or that stick. What did God tell him? He said, you're going to do these things and many more before who? Pharaoh. At that time... In Moses' life and at that era, what was going on? Pharaoh was presenting himself as God. He actually presented himself as the God above all others and that all people should worship him, was having things created in his image so that all people could come from far and wide and they would worship all of these things. God said, Moses, you're going to do all these things and many more before Pharaoh. Why? Because Pharaoh was wicked. Pharaoh was evil. And the Bible says that he did. He turned the water into blood. Frogs, all that stuff, all these things happened. Flies, lice, all of that stuff happened. And what was it for? It was for the purpose of the repentance of Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. It was. It was to show God's power, but it was also, listen, Pharaoh with everything, every plague, what did he do? He hardened his heart over and over. Just like sun hardens clay, but yet melts wax Pharaoh, because his heart was evil, became harder and harder and harder. He had every opportunity to release the children of Israel and to repent, and he did not. And God said, I got a witness against you. And who was the witness? It was Moses. What about the days of Elijah? In the days of Elijah, there was a wicked woman by the name of Jezebel, which you don't want to ever name your daughter. A wicked woman by the name of Jezebel. What was she? She was the daughter of a Baal priestess that married a king of Israel. Right? God told them not to do that, but they did it. Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was a yes man and kind of a guy that didn't uh, fully, uh, we'll just say it like this, wear the pants in the family. Uh, and he just kind of went along. But I guess if you're married to that kind of wicked person like that, you, you either need to go along with them or, or don't sleep in the same palace with them. Right? But she was wicked. She was wicked. And what did God say? I have a witness. I have a witness. What did Elijah do? He said, you call all of your prophets of Baal. He said, get them together. He said, you go and get you some wood. And you build an altar here to Baal. And he said, and you go get you a sacrifice, a bullock. And you lay it out. And you cut the parts. And you divvy it up. And you lay it on the altar. He said, and I'll do the same thing. And we'll just see whose God is God by the one who answers. Hey, don't you like that? That, that? That's like one of those old westerns where it's like, da, 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 you know, and there's Elijah on one side and there's Jezebel and the prophets on the other side, the prophets of Baal. And he says, you do whatever you want. They built an altar. The Bible said they prayed all day to Baal. Prayed all day. They cut themselves with stones and they cried out. And there's Elijah that says, well, like the King James says, well, peradventure, he's on vacation. 
maybe he is asleep and needs to be wakened. You know, or maybe he's gone or whatever, you know, and he's sitting back. And Baal never answered. But God had a witness. And the witness said, tear down that altar. And listen to the witness. Stay with me. Listen to the witness. He said, tear down that altar. And he rebuilt the altar to God, to the I am. Laid the sacrifice out there. Church, the Bible says he went and digged the trench around it. In the middle of what? A drought. Dig the trench all the way around it. And he told him, he said, go and get four barrels of water. Now look, if you're standing around Elijah and you're in the middle of a drought and he says, go get four barrels of water, what are you going to say? This is what I'd say. It's really theologically sound. Where? They came and poured it on there. Poured it on the wood, on the altar, on the sacrifice, and it ran into the ditch. And he said, go do it the second time. I mean, I understand maybe once, twice. He said, go do it the third time. The Bible says that there was so much water on there that that dry, dusty earth, Brother Adam, actually held in that trench water. Because the Bible says that Elijah called on the name of the Lord and the fire proceeded to come down out of heaven and it lapped up the sacrifice of the wood that it was on and even sucked up the water out of it. Church, you say, well, what do you mean? What's going on? God says he's got a witness. God has a witness. And he's in the tribulation time. He's going to have those two witnesses that are going to come. And they're going to have power to do these things. The Bible says that the word of God that they speak will be like fire that comes out of their mouth. They're going to affect the whole world with what they're preaching. They're going to affect the whole world with what they're saying. Listen, we don't have a whole lot of time. But the Bible says, I will give power unto them. They will prophesy all of this time. It says in Deuteronomy 17, At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. And at the mouth of one witness shall he not be put to death or he shall not. What it means is is that God is not sending one to say something. I told a friend of mine the other day when he was riding down the road, I said, you know, if we were to drive down through here and to see a kangaroo on the side of the road, And I'm by myself. I can't get people to believe me. (laughs) My parents thought they saw one in Florida one time. And I... (laughs) Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. But if I had somebody riding with me or a third person, then whenever I tell the story and I go, listen, Keith, I saw kangaroo on the side of the road and you go "Ah, I don't believe that I got another witness they were with me didn't you see it and they go yeah I saw it and the guy in the back seat says yeah I saw it see that's what the Lord says according to the law of the Levites and according to the law of God in Israel he said you can't come up against somebody and just make some story up with one witness but if you have two that have witnessed it or three that have witnessed it then out of the mouth of two or three witnesses these things would come to pass Jesus even said it in Matthew chapter 18 verse number 16 and we talked about that last week. Let me move through this. Here's the thing that I wanted to get to. They're going to affect the world with their miracles. What's going to happen? Listen, and I'm not going to be able to get to the other one I wanted to, and I want to so bad. But, amen, who said that? We'll give $5 to that person right there. (laughs) The effect of their miracles, they're going to affect the whole world. Now, I want you to stop for a moment, and I want you to get your Gentile thoughts out of your mind of church and understand that the Word of God teaches us that in Revelation 4, come up hither in the church, and the First Thessalonians talks about that we should not all sleep in First Corinthians, that we should all be changed, you know, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Paul said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, according to those which sleep in Christ. It says, the dead in Christ shall rise, and all those that are alive and remain will be called 
together, caught up in the original language there, moving it into Latin, actually is the word rapio, which means they will be raptured up, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm comforted to know that I won't be here during the tribulation period. All right, so the church is, you know, evacuated out of here. And somewhere in heaven, we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. All these things are taking place. But then all of a sudden, listen, on the earth is what? It's Gentile people that have not believed or Jewish people that are being chastised because it is their time of chastisement. The Word of God says that. It's very clear. When that's going on, think for one moment what they're going to be looking for. Stop for a moment and think about it. What are they going to be looking for? All of Israel and all of their days, they always looked for signs. Jesus even said that statement. Paul said the same kind of statement. He said the Jews seek a sign and the Greeks seek wisdom. The Bible teaches us what? That the Jews went by signs. They observed suns and moons. That's why their calendar is different from ours in the lunar calendar. That's why their year date today is different. It's 5,800 and whatever versus what we have in 2020. We go by the year of our Lord changing all of this stuff. That's why, because they hold on to traditional signs and things that God said is going to happen. Because why? God said for them to look for it. So what's going to happen during the tribulation? They're going to be looking for God. The Antichrist is going to come in, and he's going to be declaring himself to be this peaceful person. He's going to have a bow, but with no arrows. He's going to have a crown, but it's going to be just a, just a victor's crown. It's not going to be a diadem. It's just going to be a Stephanus crown. And here he is. He's declaring he's all this stuff. What do these Israelites need? They need to know that God's not left them. Don't you like to know that God hasn't left you? Israel needs to know that God hasn't left them. And so God says, at the beginning of the tribulation, I'm going to have two witnesses. And they're going to witness to you for 1,260 days, three and a half years. They're going to be prophesying. They're going to be preaching. And they're going to affect the whole world with their message. But they're going to affect the whole world with their miracles. And all of a sudden, the Israel eyes, Brother Matt, that look for signs and wonders, they're going to see these two witnesses that can do what? The things that Elijah did. The things that Moses did. And in Zechariah, he said, I will send Elijah before. He said, the coming of the Lord. He said also that my servant Moses would come and to do these things. And they're going to be seeing these miraculous things. I know you don't, I know you're just, you're looking at me like, like I always talk about a calf looking at a new rope. And what you're not understanding is, is that God is so precise and so detailed with you. How many of you have ever said in your prayer time before God, God, I just need to know you're here. And if you could, just show me something if you could do this. Now, there's going to be these super spiritual holy roller people that are going to say you're bargaining with God and you're trying to deal with him, make him do something. No, no, no. You're at a desperate moment in your, time, in your life and you're praying, God, would you, would you do this? And all of a sudden, Brother Brian, he does something in such a way that you cannot mistake that it was him. Yeah. You can't deny it was him because you prayed and said, God, you told me to bring my petition before you. You told me to bring my request, and here it is. And you lay it out, and he answers it in a certain way, and you go, wow, there's no mistaking that it had to be the hand of God that did that. And that's what Israel, Israel are standing there right now. They are standing there right now at a wall. 
that is called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. And they have cracks all in these stones. And I've seen this massive wall. And I've seen the notes and the papers that are stuck in the cracks of all of this. I have went down the tunnels, Brother Carl, that go down beside that Wailing Wall into the place where there's a plaque on the wall that says, this is the place of the Holy of Holies. You are at the closest point where the Holy of Holies used to be. And there, there's all kinds of papers stuffed in there. And what it is is they're praying and they have books of prayers and they're there every day the rabbis are there the israelites are there and you can hear them as they wail out asking god god restore the temple god restore the temple god restore the temple and here we are church understanding that you are the temple of god now and the holy spirit of god lives in you amen but because they're israelites and because blindness has happened unto israel until the fullness of the church comes in they're standing there praying god restore it and that temple is going to be restored and it ain't going to be restored in the name of the antichrist It's going to be restored. A temple is going to be there in order to honor and worship God. And in the middle of the temple, there's two witnesses. And they're preaching, and they're doing miracles. And when people try to harm them, the Word of God protects them. And 144,000 people of the Jewish tribes are going to be sealed. A number that can't be numbered are going to be saved. And listen, God's going to receive all the glory and all the honor. And they're praying for it. You know what? I'm not praying for it. I'm praying this prayer, as Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I'm not praying for that temple because I know he has come inside me now. But they are. Why? Because, Brother Jack, they need to see it. And they're going to be those witnesses that can do the powerful, miraculous things that Elijah and Moses can do. And all of a sudden... All of a sudden, Brody, a light's going to go off in those people whose hearts are blinded. A light is going to go off and they're going to go. They are from God. And you know what the message they're going to hear? This is awesome. You know what the message is going to be? Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. And they are going to be sealed by the Spirit of God. They're going to hear the prophecy. It's about the Word of God. They're going to repent and know that Jesus is the one that's worthy of all praise. That's where we were in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 10. We're before the throne of God and all of them are praising who? Listen, the Father that sits on the throne and Jesus that stands as though he has been slain. It's the message. God's going to do that. So here's my question to you today. I hear so many people sit back and go, I'm going to give my life to God. I'm really going to commit myself. If he would do this or if he would do that. And you're trying to do those things and you want to see God. I promise you this on the authority of God's word. I promise you this. If you seek him diligently with all of your heart, he will be found. The word of God says that he will be found. But the key is this. He that believeth that he is. And what that means is, is you must believe that he is the Son of God, that he is the Lamb that was slain for you. And listen, if you seek him, he will be found. No, he may not turn your, your kitchen water into blood, which that would be really good, by the way, not to do. He may, you may not cross the Warrior River today and say, God, if there's 14 ducks out there this morning, I'll believe you. No, that's not what I'm talking about. If you seek him and say, God, I'll... I want to know more of you. I want to know the truth.
I want to know you. I promise you. Not by my authority, Lord Alabama, but by the authority of the Word of God. He'll be made known to you. He will reveal himself to you. Listen, because of these witnesses, they're sharing. Their purpose was to do two things. And we close. Brother Brandon, y'all come on. They were to reveal and they were to reprove. They were to reveal and reprove. You don't know how bad I want to talk about this last thing. But we're going to save it. We're going to put it in our pocket. And we're going to talk about it later. Because I don't want you to get so much chocolate that you go overboard. Okay? I just want you to understand that God loves us so much. And here's what you, here's what you think sometimes. You go, all right, Brother Steve, you're trying to tell me that God loves me so much. You know, and he's doing all this now. And, and he's going to do all that for Israel and giving them signs and all of that stuff. Well, what about right now? He's already given you the sign, all the information that you need. You say, well, what is it, Brother Steve? It, it's the day that we live in of grace. It's the day that the Holy Spirit of God, see, because these people, when they see these signs in the tribulation period, understand that the church is gone and there's no one jock that's going, hey, man, let me tell you about Jesus. And as far as like church and the drawing and the wooing and the pulling of the Spirit. Those witnesses are going to do signs and wonders and they're going to believe off of those things that they've seen happen. But here's where you are today. There is a move of the Spirit of God that comes and says, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus. And He's drawing you. The Father says He calls you. The Bible says the Spirit and the bride say, come. And we're all saying, Lord, yeah, come. There's people in this church this morning that are going, Lord, please be with this person. Please help them, Lord. For somebody that needs to be saved, Lord, let them be saved. If there's somebody that needs to repent, let them repent. Come closer to you. All that stuff's going on right now. And all that stuff is given to you right here in the day that you live. And you have the Word of God in front of you. You have a preacher on every radio station, on every TV channel that hopefully some of them you can decipher through some things that they're saying. you got all of that stuff. Let me ask you this. What more do you want? What more do you want? I want God to open the heaven and thunder to roll. All that stuff. Why do you want that? Is his son not coming and being beaten, crucified? Is that not enough? Is his grace that's so overwhelming and so long-suffering? Is that not enough? Man, you know the truth today because the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to us and we got the Word of God. What more do you want? Why do you keep going back out there and doing the sinful things and blowing your testimony and ruining the name of Christ? Why, why do you do that? Come to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me live for you. God, forgive me for not witnessing like I should. Lord, forgive me for my thoughts and my actions and my words. God, help me to live for you. Stand up and say, Lord, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm going to tell my family about you. I'm going to tell others about you. Don't do that. If you're not saved this morning, listen to me. Listen very closely. It's not about what you do to get saved. It's about who you come to to get saved. It's not about you joining the church and baptism and all those things. No, those are good things. But the great thing is this, is that you call on the name of the Lord. You believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, that He is the Son of God. Confess your sins to Him, not... You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell me. And you say that Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll be saved. It's that easy. It's that simple. So what more do you need? The altar. Uh, the church, people always talk about the altars are open, stuff like that. If you need to pray, come and talk to the Lord this morning. Maybe some of you that are Christians, 
you haven't talked to him in a while, you just want to come and say, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I don't have to stand at a temple and beg you to come to that place. Thank you that you're inside. Thank you. Lord, this is your temple. And I'm sorry for the things that come out of this temple. Lord, let your spirit flow through me. Come and talk to him this morning. Whatever you need. If you need to pray there, need to talk to him there, you do what you need to do. But during this invitation time, this is the most important time. It's the most important time because this is your opportunity to be able to respond to what the Spirit is doing and what the Spirit is speaking to you. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Fathers, we come to you and we, we thank you as always. And God, we give you glory and we give you praise. We ask